Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome, David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. And hey, we're glad you're here. We have um, our original co-host here. So, uh, uh, Brother Tim, my son-in-law, it's been uh, crazy for the last few weeks and things that were uh, going on. Last week, we were on vacation. My wife's birthday went to Gatlinburg and uh, took uh, only four of the kids. So um, the rest are married in college and out. So uh, we had a good time. And then um, I think you guys were uh, there a few weeks ago with your families. So um, uh, catch up uh, with life. How are things with you? Good. Doing good. Uh, it's been a busy few weeks, busy few months from us between having the baby to going on vacation with my family to coming back and all of our kids uh, and myself got sick. Well, except for the newborn and just sickness running through the house and multiple different things. It's been very, very busy, but exciting. And uh, God's been good through it all. Amen. So, uh, yeah, they got some kind of stomach bug and it just wouldn't go away. Two of them had to go to the hospital. Uh, one had to get an IV and, um, uh, brother Tim's wife, our oldest daughter, uh, counted how many times each of them, um, had stomach issues and had to throw up. And it was, are you ready? Could you imagine 50, five, zero, 50, um, with six kids, we're really five. The baby was okay. But with five children, 50, so they averaged 10 times a piece. And I asked her, I said, so how many times were they able to catch it and have a bucket? And uh, it's like most of them were too little to do that. Uh, but yep. then the ones that were old enough, they were so weak um, from dehydration and vomiting, not being able to keep anything down, they didn't have the energy to grab a bucket anyway. So I can't fathom having to clean up 40-some times of, um, of vomit. So uh, <laughs> anyway, we so, had a, hey, welcome. We had a fun, what a great way we had a fun to week. out the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so speaking of uh, vomiting, hey, we're talking about alcohol today. So, <laughs> yeah, so perfect. We'll right into that. Perfect. So, um, so as a dog returning to his vomit, so does a fool to his folly. And boy, that is Ooh, definitely, definitely alcohol. 
um, that happens there. So many people have um, gotten rid of it and are done and they go back to it and it messes their life up. And all it takes is one time, one time. And professional people, well-to-do people, uh, so many lives have been destroyed by alcohol. It is amazing. So um, last week uh, I was gone, so Tim and his brother did um, one on why I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. I got about halfway done with that. And so they'll finish that sometime. And I did alcohol uh, part one by myself. And so um, the Tim, you want, oh, wait, before we get into that, we uh, have to have a joke contest. So, uh, all right, Brother Tim, here you go. So you guys can email us and let us know, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. Let's see uh, who had the best joke. And, um, and if you got any good jokes, send me, not Brother Tim. Uh, and uh, we might give you an honorable mention. All right, Brother Tim, you're up. All right. When do jokes become dad jokes? When do jokes become dad jokes? When the no, when the punchline is apparent. Wow. Wow. That was good. That was uh, good. Not really, but it's a joke. So? A joke All is right. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. So uh, I don't know if, can you classify that as a joke? Uh, just kidding. So uh, <laughs> I think it counts. <laughs> all right. Um, so, uh, all right, mine. So, um, so, all right, there's a guy who gets pulled over and, um, and so when the officer comes uh, to him and says, uh, can I see your driver's license registration? He goes, well, I don't have a driver's license. I lost it after my fifth DUI. And well, can I see the registration? He said, well, I don't really have one. This is not my car. I stole it. What? You stole the car? Yeah, I stole the car. But I think I saw registration in the glove box when I put the gun in there. You, you, you have a gun in the Yeah, I used it when I killed the person that's, uh, that was driving it and put her in the trunk. Hold on. Hold on. Right here. Don't move. And. What takes a, takes a step back, calls the captain. Pretty soon, four or five police cars all come around there. The captain comes up very carefully and says, um, I hear you don't have a license. He goes, no, got a license right here. Handed it to him. I heard this car stolen and uh, you don't have a registration. Nope, it's my car. Here's the registration. Has my name and address on it. Um, I heard you have a gun in the uh, glove box. <laughs> nope, don't even carry one. Not a glove, not a gun in the glove box. Open it up. I heard there's a dead body in the back of the trunk. <laughs> nope, I'll show you. Pop the trunk. Uh, no dead body there. And then the uh, driver tells the captain, you know what? I bet you probably heard I was, uh, I was speeding also. And so um, anyway, see if, he, uh, That's see, if good. That, see if that got him out of it or not. So uh, anybody wants to try that, let me know how it works. Um, I'm not brave enough <laughs> to do that, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it would That's probably good. work for my. Those were our jokes. You can let us know what you think. So, all right, uh, getting into the details. So from the alcohol lesson, um, any questions you had on that, any thoughts you had, anything you wanted to add to it, and then we'll add some uh, new things. Probably won't be as long today, but you never know. You get two uh, preachers together. So any thoughts or comments uh, on the first alcohol lesson? Um, yeah, I thought, thought it was really good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I listened to it myself. Uh, the, I think a question that probably many people would have that, uh, that you mentioned with the, a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And this is obviously one that, that comes up a lot in conversation when it's, uh, talking about the Bible and alcohol is, uh, when you mentioned the grape juice benefits, things like that, that was very interesting. And I think a, a question that a lot of people would probably have would be, can something like a NyQuil or a med medicine or a medicinal type 
uh, alcohol use be used for a Christian, or is that against the Bible to be be able to use something like that for their infirmities or stomach sake or anything like that? I know that's I've heard that used before. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Good, no, good question, and. And again, you know, if somebody did, I don't think it's going to be horrible. I know people who have um, who <laughs> who have uh, bought those type things to get drunk um, when they can't get uh, other things. Uh, there is a high alcohol content. Obviously, you have to drink a lot, and it's going to mess you up. Um, growing up, honestly, my dad um, wouldn't have NyQuil, wouldn't take NyQuil, wouldn't have it in the house um, because of the alcohol content in it. And so that's how we grew up with that. And I think, uh, like we talked about, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Uh, like we talked about, alcohol for your stomach is a horrible thing. Um, anyone who's ever drank very much at all, you realize what alcohol does to your stomach and how many people vomit because the alcohol is just not natural. It's not supposed to be uh, there and it creates all kind of stomach issues. And so I think maybe, and I know we're going to talk about this, um, where give strong drink into him that is ready to perish. And so from, um, from um, Proverbs 31, to use it as a painkiller if someone was getting ready to die, like you would use a morphine or something like that, um, that in my mind would be the only way that that could be used as medicinal because the medicinal part of, quote, wine is the grape juice. That is what is medicinal, yeah. and that helps physically. Alcohol doesn't, okay? There's no medicinal purpose to alcohol. It doesn't heal or fix anything. It's going to mess your stomach up. Um, now, can it be used on the outside to cleanse the wound and, wound and kill um, germs? Absolutely. And could you give it to somebody who is in extreme pain, they're getting ready to die, to some put them out of their misery. And I think that's the alcohol in NyQuil because you take that alcohol, it helps somebody go to sleep. Um, but, uh, but personally, we don't, and I would not. Um, and again, that is, I think they use it to justify, oh, yeah, we're going to take it a little for our health. And that glass of red wine is really going to be really good for your health. And that has been totally disproven. It's the grape juice in that that's going to be for the medicine. So that's how I would fall on that. That's good. That's good. That, I, I like that answer. It's uh, uh, definitely helpful, and I'm sure helpful to a lot of people. Awesome. So uh, when we were talking about this, you brought up Proverbs 31, and I didn't get to that yet last week. So why don't you uh, take and talk about um, the Proverbs 31 and um, and who alcohol should definitely not be for? Yeah, uh, the Bible, man, I love the Bible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just growing up and, and being taught on this and things, and I'm someone who's— uh, never drank alcohol and I'm thankful for that. I'm, uh, I don't say that from a place of pride, but a, a place of just being grateful. And I'm glad, uh, that I've not been raised in that. And I'm glad that my dad and my mom didn't ever take the approach of, we can just sip it here and there and keep something that is very dangerous in our home. I'm very grateful, very thankful for that. So, uh, I'm coming from the place of, uh, not very much experience and not even really being around, uh, alcohol at all. And I'm grateful for that. Um, so, but, but for myself, growing up, I still wanted to know why I believed what I believed, not only what I was taught, but then I'd go study it for myself and see if I could, uh, if I could stand, uh, based on what the Bible says and, and hold that to, uh, to what I'd been taught and, and to continue in that. So when I'm studying, uh, uh, the topic of alcohol and strong drink and wine and all of that, it's, it's really not that much of a uh, confliction inside. There's, it's not that hard. It, it, when you're going through God's word, it's really doesn't seem like that difficult of an issue, but 
Um, but Proverbs 31 is, is very interesting to me because obviously um, uh, in this, it, Proverbs is helpful to us just overall uh, in many ways. But Proverbs 31.4 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. And for us as a New Testament believer here uh, now today, is it for us to drink wine or strong drink? You think about us with what Christ did for us, who we are in Christ. We're joint heirs. We are a part of the inheritance. We have uh, this uh, opportunity to boldly approach the throne, all those things. But then you tie that in with Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. All right. Remember in Proverbs 31, it said, It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Revelation 1, 6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that passage is talking about us as believers. We have been made kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are kings and priests before God. And, and, that is how we're looked at for us to be, uh, consuming alcohol. The Bible says it's not for Kings. All right. It's not for princes, uh, and, and us before God, it is not for us as a new Testament believer to be consuming, uh, the alcohol. And, uh, those are just some thoughts with Proverbs 31. It's a mocker. It, it's makes a mocker of us as, as Christians, um, that it goes through in Proverbs. It's a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. God doesn't want his children, uh, the ones who are bought by his blood to be consuming something like that. Um, so I have a few more thoughts. Do you want me to keep going on into another passage? or just hold off there with uh, Proverbs 31? No, um, let me just comment. Yeah, I think that's really good and and really important. Um, and sometimes people say, oh, Proverbs, that's just a wise person teaching their son. Um, so you don't believe it's Scripture? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I believe it's Scripture. And even yeah. if it's just a wise man, okay, are you? do you have more wisdom than Solomon or <laughs> Solomon's mother? Um, it's amazing. People try to put the Bible down. They have to discount the verses they don't like, and so that's one way they do it. But here's the wisest man and this wise mother teaching her son, son, it's not for kings. And we definitely are kings. We are children of the king. We're going to rule and reign with them as kings and priests. And so um, definitely that's what we're supposed to do. So, um, so even if you think it's okay, all right, let the heathen do that. But as a, as a New Testament Christian trying to serve the Lord, absolutely, it should not be a part of our life at all. So go ahead. All right, yeah, so that verse, especially those two verses and sort of that tie-in um, with revelation to us as believers and, and being saved and bought uh, by Jesus Christ. Now, this one I feel like is is one of my favorite passages when it comes to alcohol. It's 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 a big deal. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it's talking about uh, John the Baptist. And it said for John the Baptist, so verse 15, it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to their Lord, to the Lord their God. So it defines when he's great in the sight of the Lord. All right. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So what's it take to be great in the sight of the Lord? In, in this passage, it's saying John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord and wouldn't drink wine or strong drink. That's not, he wouldn't be drunk with wine. He says not drink. That's not consuming wine or strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. So that means drinking wine 
or strong drink can affect being filled with the Holy Ghost. And as Christians and believers, we should want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then it says, and many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. And we all know that if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, yielding to the Holy Spirit, being used by him, it's going to be a lot harder to win others and, uh, and non-believers to the Lord our God, which comes from being filled with the Holy Ghost and being filled with the Holy Ghost is affected if we drink wine or alcohol. So as believers, we ought to want to be great in the sight of the Lord. And that comes right along with not drinking wine nor strong drink. And we should want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, which affects our leading other people to Christ and witnessing to people. And drinking wine and strong drink was a big part of that passage to God blessing and using John the Baptist. As believers, we should want all of those things to be great in the sight of God, be filled with the Holy Ghost and turn others to God. And it is it is definitely, um, there's a direct correlation when you get to Ephesians 5, and you mentioned this before, but Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled right. with, the, with the Spirit. Wine throughout Scripture seems to be in complete opposition to the Holy Spirit. We know that just in modern day living, uh, wine and spirits on the, on the store down the street or the at the gas station, wine and spirits. We all know that the spirit, there is a spirit with alcohol and it is not of the Holy Spirit. It is in complete opposition to the Holy Spirit. So we who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and living inside of us, are we supposed to put another spirit that is in complete opposition to the Holy Spirit inside of us? And so John the Baptist drank no wine, which directly correlated to being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I think we should follow that same path as Christians is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God uh, does not go hand in hand with being filled and drinking wine. So uh, there, and there's so many things with that, but alcohol, it's a substance that hinders you uh, and hinders your ability to make judgment calls. But yet Christians feel like they can drink it and be able to still make a judgment call when they should stop consuming it. Right. The th very thing that they that affects their judgment calls it, is is something that w that they feel like when they're consuming it they can make a judgment call on when to stop and it it totally makes no sense so um, there's so many uh, passages and then there's there's so many just just to get uh, just wisdom from God on it when you when you study God's word it is not important I mean you, you think of verses just Romans 12 1 and 1 and 2 be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so does alcohol uh, conform you more to this world or conform you more to God when you're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind does alcohol renew your mind it's uh, our body supposed to be uh, a, a living sacrifice to God and wholly acceptable to reasonable service there's just verse after verse after verse just on right. our body our mind to be given to God and and alcohol is in complete op opposition with that absolutely all right, I want to get into a little technical stuff, and then we're going to get um, back to the Bible and show something. But this is pretty amazing. This is from, um, this is from the uh, Northwest, um, um, Northwest uh, Medical, um, Northwestern Medicine, okay, Northwestern University, big, uh, important college. It talks about alcohol, your brain on alcohol, okay? So this is going to go to the people that say, well, it's okay to drink. It's just bad to get drunk. And they don't understand what the level of drunk is. I talked about this last time. And so we define drunk ourselves. And like I said, I've been around this too much. I've seen guys who can't walk claim they're not drunk and they can still drive.
They're falling all over the place, and they, in their mind, are not drunk. They can still drive. And so please understand, you think you're okay. That's not how drunk is defined. We define it in our society by the blood alcohol level. Okay, and I showed you last time different countries have different uh, varying views of that. And again, it doesn't matter what a country says or the law or the U.S. government. It matters about God, where God says, be not drunk with wine. How much drunk? As long as you can still drive, as long as you got a buzz, but you're not throwing up. How do you define that? Okay, any alcohol is going to give you, listen carefully, partially drunk. Now, listen to this. This is the uh, Northwestern University on Medicine. Your brain on alcohol. There are several stages of alcohol intoxication. Intoxication means what? Drunk. If you're intoxicated, you are what? Drunk. That's the word. Intoxicated. Okay? Number one, subliminal intoxication. This is what they call it. With a blood alcohol content between 0.01 and 0.05, this is the first stage of intoxication. You may not look like you've been drinking. But your reaction time, behavior, judgment may be slightly altered. Depending on weight, most men and women enter this stage, really, you ready? After one drink. One drink. Did you One drink. This is not some Baptist preacher. This is Northwestern medical, okay? This is what happens at intoxication. According to medicine, you are, with one drink, okay, 0.01% to 0.05% with one drink, you are subliminally intoxicated, meaning you're subliminally drunk. Be not drunk with wine. It's amazing with Tim how they say, well, yeah, I'm not drunk. And they're defining it how? By what they feel or what they think. No. Medically, this is what it is, a blood alcohol level. That's how it's defined. 0.01 with one drink, you are subliminally intoxicated. That is how medical describes that. Now, legally, by the government, you might still be able to drive at 0.01 or 0.05, but according to medicine, you are subliminally intoxicated. Next stage is euphoria. Um, that's 0.03 to 0.12. Next is excitement, 0.09 to 0.25. Um, then next is confusion, 0.18 to 0.3, a disorientation. Then uh, next is stupor. Uh, you reach blood alcohol at 0.25. You have signs of alcohol poisoning. Mental, physical, sensory are all impaired. The risk for passing out, suffocation, and injury is high. That's when people say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're drunk at that level. No, there are three, four steps before that that you're considered drunk. It's called subliminal intoxication. Then coma, blood alcohol of 0.35. You're at risk of going into a coma, pass out, that happens. Um, and uh, then death over 0.45 cause the death of alcohol poisoning, okay? So please understand, when you say, oh, I'm not drunk, all right? Um, technically, medically, you are. You are intoxicated with one drink at 0 0.01. Well, I can still drive and function, okay? According to the medical, uh, it says, even with that, uh, your reaction time, behavior, and judgment may be slightly altered. And with two, would that lower your inhibition is just enough to be able to mess something up, to be able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay to drink. It's not okay to get drunk. Uh, you do not understand medically intoxication because even at 0 0.01 is. And you're like, oh, that's laughable. Um, no, that's biblical. God says, be not drunk with wine. How much drunk? 
0.01, one drink, then you are subliminally intoxicated. So uh, get over what you think. I don't feel drunk. Yeah, there's a lot of people that say that. Ask police officers when they pull people over and they give them the blood alcohol and they do the, uh, the test um, on the side of the road, how many of them say they're not drunk? Okay, you want to take a guess? You ready? <laughs> Almost all of them. That's what they say. They're not drunk. Yep. So um, any thoughts, and, for Tim, on that? No, it's, that's powerful. We, a lot of Christians try and find a way to justify it. And I thought it was interesting, too, in your first one, you had mentioned the, the people who use the argument of, well, for, for Christians who say you're 1% or 2% drunk when you sip alcohol, that's invalid because uh, the Bible talks about gluttony as well. And if you're, uh, that means if you take a bite of food, then you're 1% a glutton or 2% glutton, you know. And and uh, I thought it was interesting you when you pointed out uh, that that analogy doesn't even work or that comparison doesn't even work because food is necessary for survival. <laughs> the alcohol is not necessary for survival. And so you can't use that comparison when they're used for different purposes. <laughs> right. It is amazing. So, um, and I was, <laughs> my mind, I wonder if I preach some things because in my mind I preached it and then I have to go and look, did I preach that or not? I don't know. So I may have <laughs> talked about, I may have talked about this, um, uh, some before, and I think I maybe said, I'm going to talk about it. But one of the things when my assistant pastor had, um, had left and started teaching people this. Um, he talked about the different springs, and they did, or he said they didn't have good water over there. And I talked last time about this is not Mexico. Look in the Bible at how many springs and rivers and water they have uh, that they could drink from. Okay, so that's not the state. This is not Mexico. They had good water, um, and then they say, well, you know, they had no way to be able to keep it from turning into alcohol, and that's not true. These are uh, from history of speaking thousands of years ago of what they did. Four different ways that they could keep fresh grape juice from fermenting. Number one, boiling. It boils to half its original state. They put it in animal skins, place it in the ground. Then they add water to it. It's ready to drink. It's a form of concentrate, okay? We didn't just come up with that 100 years ago. That's back thousands of years ago. Filtering, you can remove the gluten from the juice. Uh, Plutarch talked about this in 60 A.D., and he said it kept the process, kept wine from inflaming the brain, passions, and it was pleasant and sweet to the taste, okay? So understand, they knew alcohol, okay, when that wine, grape juice, turns fermented and inflames the brains and passions. But if we remove the gluten from it, then we can keep it from fermenting, and it's sweet and pleasant and doesn't cause that. Um, and then uh, That's interesting. Subsidence, um, this allows the gluten to drop to the bottom of the juice, then it's removed from the juice, and if the juice was kept at 45 degrees or cooler, then no other gluten would form. And uh, you put that in a creek. My dad grew up without a refrigerator, without electricity, and they put the milk and the things they needed to be kept cold in the creek, and it kept it at a good temperature. And then last is fumigation. The juice is fumigated with sulfur smoke. This would remove the oxygen from the gluten, thus not allowing fermentation process to take place, okay? So when people say, oh, yeah, they, it was, uh, they were, had no fresh water over there, and that's the only thing they could drink, and, and they didn't have a way to keep it uh, from being fermented, okay? Please kindly look at them and say, you have not a clue what you're talking about. It's amazing mm -hmm. people say that, and we accept it, without anybody really studying history and seeing what they did and what they had. So, um, all right, are we ready to go into uh, uh, the verse, okay? Uh, anything else for the time we need to cover before we go into that? No, let's do it. All right. So one of the things, I'm going to read the verse to you and then talk about it. And this is something that uh, 
lately, when we've heard people that are drinking, um, this is the verse that they go to. This is the verse that they try to justify and say, see, it's okay. I'm going to read it, let Brother Tim talk about it, and then I'm going to um, uh, lay out something else after that. So this is in Deuteronomy. Um, trying to find it right now. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse number 26. Okay, Deuteronomy 14, 26. It says, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. So there it is. We can eat it and drink it. Whatever our soul lusteth for, we can have it. See, there's nothing wrong with it. If our soul lusts for it, then we can drink it. There you go. There's those verses, and uh, I obviously know they're in the Bible, and I've seen them and have read them. First off, I don't usually hear a former alcoholic who is trying to just be close to God and uh, wants to please God coming with those verses of, hey, can I, can I, can I, can I drink alcohol? I want to, I want to, I want to. Most of the time, someone who's trying to stay away from alcohol and realizes the dangers uh, is not looking for this constant way of adding alcohol to his life. It, it definitely seems to be a lot more coming from the Christians who, uh, at least in, in, in what I've seen, is a lot of Christians who have grown up in a good, godly Christian home in church and and they've been taught to not drink alcohol, and that it is against the Bible, it is against God, and they go to those verses and say, see, I think we can, according to the Bible, these are our verses, we can do it, and that's usually who it's coming from, is people trying to find a way to stick alcohol in their life and add that to their life, that's the first thing I notice with that. Um, second thing, with those verses, if someone wants to claim those verses, then, then really, You'll, you're going to have to first reconcile all the other verses in the Bible if you're going to claim those as your two for your, re, for, well, Deuteronomy, and then there's a, another verse in, in Numbers that talks about sort of similar. But just uh, if you're going to claim verses like that back in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy on things with strong drink and wine, then you're going to have to reconcile all the rest of Scripture uh, as well. And and if you want those to be the be your verses, then then you should probably go into those chapters, study the context of it all, and use uh, the same limits that they had on it, and also the same circumstances. You should be under the same circumstances with their sacrifices and everything else. There's a little bit more to it to just cherry pick a verse and pull it out and 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 things like that. So those are just sort of my my big things with it. I'm if someone was coming at me hard on it, I'm not going to go into this deep argument with them on those verses or on Deuteronomy. Uh, I just, I believe that you would have to reconcile it with all the other verses in the Bible and as Christians and, and believers today, uh, yielding to the Holy Spirit and, and yielding to God and being what he wants you to be and being full of the Holy Ghost because that's uh, strong drink is in complete opposition to that. So that's, that's about the most I have to say on it. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Well, it is amazing. I think you're exactly right. Um, if that's going to be your life's verse <laughs> of how you're going to justify drinking alcohol, then do it the way they did it, and as often as they did it. Um, but I think, yeah. like you said, yep. for New Testament Christianity, we're not supposed to just go for what our soul lusteth for. Um, yeah. There are times when God winked at and allowed them to have two wives. 
Was that the way God wanted it, intended it in the beginning? No. In the beginning, he made them Adam and Eve, and that's the yeah. way God intended it. Now, has God ever let people do something that their soul lusteth after that was not good for them? Yes, like two wives. Um, I think every man who had two wives would tell you, you know what? It's a lot more problems than I thought it was going to be. Um, and so I don't know. I've only had one, only plan on having one. Um, but, uh, but the problems it, it creates, having more than one wife yeah. um, would create so many problems. Does God ever allow and let someone do that in times where God winked at and let people do things that he knew would hurt them and mess them up. Um, and on the other side of it, they realized, you know what, man, I don't need to do that. And so you wonder how much of it is, um, is that. The other thing, when you lay out anything, it's an, a weight of evidence, okay? A weight yeah. of evidence. So um, God, is that what you want me to do, to be led by the Spirit? Um, that is not something that God led them to do. He let them do what their soul lusteth after, okay? He let them do that. Just like this man saw this woman. Here's Solomon. Whatsoever his eyes desired, he kept not from them. Is that what God wanted? Is that what God wanted Solomon to do? No. But did God let him go after whatever his soul desired? He did. And he had 300 wives and 700 substitutes, okay? Was that the will of God? Was that yielding to the Holy Spirit? Was that dying to self? No, it was not. Even by the verse, God said, all right, I will let you do whatever your soul lusteth after. Um, and they did. But was it good for them and right, yielded to the Holy Spirit, sold out, spirit-filled? Absolutely not. And so um, then when you, when you look at the preponderance of the evidence, okay, anytime you have something in a court of law, the evidence is brought, okay, the weight of the evidence. It's a uh, guiding principle in hermeneutics. Um, all right, we have this much truth on this issue, this much on this issue. What is the weight of the evidence? And that's used in legal terms. That's used in Bible understanding of truth. Yeah. And so look at all the verses in the Bible called systematic theology. Start with Genesis, look at every verse in the Bible that talks about wine, alcohol, strong drink, and get the preponderance of the evidence and see what it says. Yeah. Okay? I promise you, anyone who does this, the preponderance of evidence is going to be, especially rightly dividing the word of truth, not justifying, oh, Jesus drank alcohol, and Jesus turned the water into alcohol, and Paul told Timothy to drink alcohol. Again, you can't do that because that's not what it's talking about. The preponderance of the evidence is that alcohol is bad and wrong and it's going to hurt people. I don't have time in this podcast to go through all this. If you want to write some things down and pause and look this up yourself, this is just a simple outline of some alcohol things in the Bible. Number one, how it affects physically. It inflames the passions, Isaiah 5.11. It leads to sickness, Hosea 7.5. It causes one to stagger, Job 12.25. It causes one to vomit, Isaiah 19.14. It weakens the vision, Isaiah 28, verse 7, and Proverbs 23. 33. It leads one to wounds without cause, Proverbs 23, 29. It produces filthiness, Isaiah 28, verse 8. It produces giddiness, Proverbs 23, 34. That's just on the physical. A few. Mentally, what does it do? It impairs judgment, Proverbs 31, 5, Isaiah 28, verse 7. It impairs the memory, Proverbs 31, 4, and 5. It infuriates the temper, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Morally and spiritually, what does it do? 
Uh, it leads to indifference in the Lord's work, Isaiah 5.12. It is allied with gambling and, les- and lasciviousness, um, uh, Joel 3.3. 3. It's allied with indecent exposure, Genesis 9.21, Habakkuk 2.15 and 16. Materially, what does it do? It makes one oblivious to misery, Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. It makes the glad the heart, Psalm 105, um, verse uh, 15. It ultimately leads to ruin, um, uh, in Proverbs 23, 32. Poverty, Proverbs 21, 17 and 23, 21. To strife, it leads to Proverbs 23, 29 and 30. It leads to woe and sorrow, Proverbs 23, 29 and 30. Um, those are just some of the things on a preponderance of the evidence of what alcohol does. And like I said last time, and this is just so unbelievable that Christians would justify this, anything that could allow someone to have sex with their daughters and not remember it is not something a Christian should have as a part of their life at all. Has this ever happened? Has anyone decided, you know what, I'm just going to drink a little, I'm not going to get drunk. That was their thought. That was their decision. And they ended up getting drunk. Uh, Has that ever happened? (laughs) Thousands and millions of times. Don't know how many times we've been out with a guy. Yeah, we're not going to get drunk tonight. We're just going to have a couple beers. And by the end of the night, guess what happened? Totally plastered, wasted, drunk. Totally. And so then when you are drunk, which even the quote, uh, the people that are pushing this would say drunkenness is wrong. When you get started drinking, it deceives you. So now you will, even by your standard, would be drunk. And so the preponderance of evidence is just there is no way that that's something that God would want us to do. By the way, if you want to read something interesting, and I don't have time, we could go 10, 10 different series on this. There's other things we want to do. If you ever want to read something, the curse of alcohol, okay? The Bible talks about it being a curse. Um, and uh, people that have the Kennedy family, okay? The old Joe Kennedy made a whole lot of money during Prohibition with alcohol. You want to read something, just Google and look it up. The curse of alcohol, Joe Kennedy, Okay, the Kennedy curse, it's called. Okay, the Kennedy curse. And uh, some people don't connect it with alcohol, but everybody who's studied history knows about the Kennedy curse. And he made his money on bootlegging liquor during Prohibition. That's how he made his money. Guess what happened? A curse came upon him and his family. It is unbelievable. Oh, yeah, I've heard. No, you haven't. Not unless you read this thing. Okay, I mean, there are probably 30. 30 different things that happened with the curse of the Kennedys. Also with the Coors. I read the Coors family and see the curse on them of what they did. Uh, Adolf Coors Sr. and Adolf Coors III and to see what happened to them. There's a curse on alcohol and it's passed on to the families. And so that's not something that I want for me or for my children or for anyone that, um, that I work with. So the preponderance of evidence, if you want to do it like Tim said, okay, do it the way the Bible said it then, that one time a year at this feast, um, but if you're going to be a godly, sold-out, dead-to-self-Christian, you're not going to be going after what your soul lusteth after. You're going yeah. to be using your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, asking God what he wants you to do. God says, and whatsoever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, okay? Everything we do is supposed to be done to the glory of God. Can you drink alcohol for the glory of God? No, you can't. You drink it because your soul lusteth after it. And again, I've had and drank, I hate saying it, haven't in 33 years, but I've drank so many of those things. And guess what? You don't drink it for the taste. Now, there's some things that they can make that are sweet uh, to the taste, but you don't drink it for the taste. Even they say it's an acquired taste. Why do you drink it? For what it does to your brain, to give you a buzz. That's why people drink it, which is, again, being drunk. Just one of the verse, Proverbs 28, uh, 78. 
uh, or sorry, seven and eight. Um, but they also have erred through wine and through strong drink, are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up in wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so there is no place clean. Oh, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. Nothing wrong with it at all. Um, you know that's not true, and, um, and I know that, and God knows that. So I've got one more um, story, one more thing to tell before we um, close. Brother Tim, any final thoughts you have um, on this uh, subject? We're uh, about on the time period where we want to be, not too long, but hopefully giving you enough to hopefully think about yeah. something. Yeah, just, just and, and as you can tell if you're listening to this, uh, I don't have a ton to ton to put into this uh i'm i'm enjoying listening and 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 even learning a lot of the things you're mentioning but um there's alcohol i guess for me isn't this this difficult issue and it might be for somebody but i would just say overall what i mentioned before with with john the baptist in luke 1 15 and 16 for he shall be great in the sight of the lord as a christian for myself and uh i don't feel like i'm great in the sight of the lord but i want to be and I think we should want to be. We should want to be great in the sight of the Lord, want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5, right? Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What, co- what could cause me to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Something that hinders my ability to even think right and causes me to, to do things that I would never uh, think of doing or consider doing. And if I'm to walk in the Spirit, I'm supposed to be walking, yielding to the Holy Spirit, not to outside spirits and and wicked spirits that could cause me to fulfill the lust of the flesh i'm supposed to walk in the spirit with the holy spirit as a christian and and just to be close to god and then and then the overall goal is is to be filled with the holy ghost to reach other people and i've never there's not anybody i know there's no man uh that i would want to follow no christian man that i would want to follow down his same path as a model for my life that drinks alcohol. I don't know one for me. There could be somebody maybe somewhere, but for me, there's no man that I know that drinks alcohol that is, has gone down a path that I want to follow as a young man with a young family. I, I just don't. And so it's, it's not that hard of a decision for me. So if you're a young man out there, you're in ministry, you're leading a family and all of those things, and people are trying to come at you and and say that what you believe on alcohol is wrong, as many times happens, uh, then I would just uh, urge you to consider what the Bible says on it. And like you said, with the weight of evidence, it's very important that we as Christians don't get sucked into uh, yielding to the flesh and and being drunk with wine or even consuming it at all. And I think uh, that would be very helpful for us to, to stay away from that danger. Amen. So <laughs> I'm not an expert on a lot of things. Um, you know, that old phrase, um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's some things that I uh, am knowledgeable on that I don't want like to claim. Like I know how to move pianos. Like I have moved in my <laughs> lifetime at least 20 pianos, um, many grand pianos. And I don't want to put that on a resume because I never want to have to move another piano in my life. Um, but, but I've had to, had to do them. I don't want to be an expert in that. And I don't want to be an expert in alcohol. But the way I grew up and the military and being a pastor 
and being in the jail for 28 years and helping so many guys with and through this thing, I personally, through everything I've seen, done, and lived, am an expert on alcohol. And I promise you, you do not want to have that as a part of your life. You may be okay and maybe not. You may be like the dentist who didn't drink for 10 years and I saw him in jail. What are you doing here? And vehicular homicide. One time, just relax, New Year's, go out and have a few, and he kills somebody, and he's still in prison to this day. Dennis, making $200,000 plus a year, and it's all gone because, gone from his family. He didn't think that was going to happen. He hadn't drank for 10 years. You have no idea. I want to tell you a story, true story, tragedy. My secretary, I'm going to read a letter from her in a minute. Secretary for years, great lady, sweet lady. Um, one night, I got a call from the emergency room about two in the morning and answer the phone and I'm good at <coughs> hello and act like you're not asleep. Um, you know, but I was asleep and, uh, it was a hospital and it was someone that I knew at the hospital. And he said, pastor, I'm sorry to call you. He said, well, they just brought a body in and his ID says this, he's really messed up. He's dead, but I think it's your secretary's son. I said, Oh no. Oh, no. Are you sure? He's got another ID, too, but I think it's a fake one. Um, but he was killed in a drunk driving accident tonight. I thought you'd want to know and didn't know if you wanted to be the one to tell her. If not, we'll call her. I said, no, I'll tell her. And so I got up, my wife got up, and we drove over to her house. About 2.30 in the morning, knocked on the door. One of the roughest times of my life. Not a good thing at 2.30 in the morning when you open the door. And your pastor's there dressed in suit and tie, and the pastor's wife is there. She was a single mom. And as soon as we opened the door, she had this just scared look on her face. I could still see it. She said, what's wrong? What, what's wrong? Can we come in? What's wrong? What happened? Can we come in and sit down? We came in and sat down and had to tell her that her 19-year-old son was killed in a drunk driving accident. That was bad. But then she had to come in and identify the body because he had two IDs. They had to verify that this was her son. She had to get dressed. And we drove her over to the hospital, went into the emergency room, and was there with her as they pulled the sheet down. She saw the face of her son, all battered and messed up from the wreck. And to see her just collapse in tears and brokenness. It was 25 years ago, probably. I'll never forget that. And you want to think alcohol's okay? You want to think there's nothing wrong with it? And you've not been through those things. You've not been there. One time I was called to a hospital to be with a family when they had to pull the plug. And after they had me have a final prayer, he was brain dead. He had been shot in the head. Um, he was coming out of a liquor store. And the guy that was sitting in the car in the liquor store thought he looked bad at him. And he had been using and drinking, and he pulled a gun and shot him just because he thought he disrespected him. I was there when they pulled the plug and saw the final line of the heart. The family left. The dad stayed back and said, Doc, can I see the bullet hole? And so he and I stood as they turned his head over and pulled the bandage back and saw the bullet hole for his head to try to help and comfort families like that. How come? Because of alcohol. You know what that happens? It happens every day. 
happens multiple times a day. All over the world that happens. And to justify that alcohol is okay? Uh, well, it's okay if you don't get drunk. Yeah. Tell all the people that who went through that. Preached against alcohol one time, and we did a few things. And she wrote a letter to alcohol directly as a person. And this is a letter from her. She said, Dear Mr. Alcohol, I have many charges to bring against you. You were instrumental in robbing me and my children of everything that was dear and sacred in our lives. You helped, along with many other cohorts of yours, to take my husband of 25 years away. You have attributed in ruining his character, his integrity, his honesty, his spirituality, his respect from his children, and his life and obedience to God. As a result of this, you took away my hope, my security, my future, my happiness, and have torn my family apart. You took all of that away and left nothing in its place but heartache, pain, loneliness, and happiness, fear, and dread for tomorrow. You further helped rob four precious children of having a father to love them, rear them, instruct them, support them, care for them, be involved in their lives, and point them toward God. And lastly, alcohol, you took away from me one of my most precious possessions, my only son. I can never touch him, hug him, kiss him, tell him I love him, see him graduate from high school or college, attend his wedding, hold his children in my arms. His sisters can never laugh with him, spend time with him, or grow old with him. We all will forever feel the pain of missing him. Thank you, alcohol. If you want to think it's okay, then you've not had to deal with too many of those situations to see all the lives wrecked by alcohol. If you did, I promise you would say, you know what? I'm not justifying it anymore. It's not for a Christian. It's not for me. I'm done with it, and I'll never touch it another day in my life. That's the decision I made 33 years ago, and I hope and pray that you also will make that decision. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next podcast.